Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Bob Ginsberg on. He is from, oh, I just closed the website, Beyond the Five Senses, um, and his specialty is life after death. Thanks for coming on today. A pleasure to be here, Gary. Um, so, so what what brought you down this down this road of um, investigating, um, you know, what what happens to us after we pass away? Well, it really uh, was born out of uh, you know personal tragedy. My uh, my son and daughter were in a car accident uh, back in two thousand and two, and my daughter didn't survive the accident. My son um, had severe injuries, and I. Um, before the accident happened, my wife uh, woke up about three o'clock in the morning and, and she was shaking and she was trembling. She was ashen white. I said, what's the matter? And she said, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, what does that mean? What, you know, what? She said, I, I can't tell you, but I know that it's something going to be devastating today. Um, and I didn't really that was you know living my life as a as a materialist thinker and and you know logical left-brained and things like uh premonitions and precognitive episodes um i didn't really believe in but um over the years my wife had had several other precognitive um episodes and everything always play out exactly the way she saw them but they were all good things but logic told me if 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 um, if she was able to do it, then she might. This might be real. So I I watched over my three kids uh, during the day the best I could. And one was already started back in college. And another one was um, we were taking them to college the next day. And my youngest was working at a part time job. And at the end of the day, I let my guard down, and I figured I, I let it fade from my awareness, you know. And then the accident happened on the way home from a restaurant we were at. Um, we had two cars, but you know, after being in shock um, for a month or two, well, I didn't know if my son was going to make it, and eventually he did. He made a miraculous recovery, and then it hit me, you know, why. How did she know? I mean, because I, 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 I remembered that day, you know, that, that she knew this was going to happen. And I became consumed with finding out, A, how she knew, B, is it possible my daughter still survived in some form, and, and was she okay? Um, and I traveled across the, the country, and I met with, you know, scientists from major universities that studied consciousness and, and uh learned all I could, uh, participated in some research. Uh, and uh, one thing led to another. Uh, we went, to, um, my wife and I went to a, a support group one time, uh, and, which was for bereaved parents. And every time we brought up the subject of life after death, uh, the moderator would shut us down and say, no, 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 we don't, we don't talk about these things here. Uh, our purpose is 
to um, show you mechanisms that you, the way you could cope with your grief. And we don't we don't talk about subjects like life after, after death. And I, I thought that was very odd because all the parents there, the only thing that would really give them any hope would be the knowledge that their loved one still survived in some form. So we used to, when the meeting was over, we used to stand outside in the cold, you know, freezing, freezing our behinds off and, uh, and, and talking with all the other parents about, you know, uh, evidence for, for life after that. Um, so uh, one thing led to another. We started discussion groups where people could discuss what they've learned and experienced without the fear of being labeled or judged. Uh, one thing led to another. And we formed the Forever Family Foundation in 2004, which is now a global uh, all-volunteer organization and not-for-profit. We have about over 10,000 members. Um, and uh, we seek to educate the public about evidence um, that we're more than our physical bodies. And we study things like mediumship. And of course, that's the topic of the book that I just released. But you know, we, we talk about near-death experiences and deathbed visions, you know, reincarnation, electronic voice phenomena, you know, after-death communications. So uh, that that's my story, how I got into it. I never imagined that I, I would, you know, be involved. It's been my my whole life since, you know, 2003. Um, and and uh, the reason that I wrote the book, you know, Medium Explosion, is that I've I've been um, chairing a medium certification uh, program through the foundation for since 2005. And over the years, I've, you know, I've witnessed probably, you know, over a thousand, you know, medium readings, and we evaluate the evidence they provide. And frankly, um, in my opinion, you know, somewhere around 85 to 90% of the mediums that are practicing today um, cannot do what they claim. But yet, um, there are some that there's that 10% that truly can, and, and it's extraordinary. And, and uh, you know, what I, what I attempted to do in the book is to educate people about how mediums work, you know, uh, how to, how to uh, behave when you're getting a reading, how to prepare. Um, uh, we talk about the history of mediumship, you know, psychic information versus mediumistic information and so forth. That's a long-winded answer to your question, Darren. It's interesting. Have you ever heard of Mark Ireland? Uh, yes, I've heard of yeah, him. Yeah, I've interviewed him. He, almost yeah. the same story as you. He, he, he woke up one morning. He had a really bad feeling. His son was going on a hike. He really felt that his son shouldn't go and even asked him not to go. But his son went anyway. And he just suddenly uh, passed away because of the lack of oxygen and asthma. And uh, and he went on to uh, start researching mediumship and, and doing something very similar to what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thrust of, of our organization is really, you know, on the science. Uh, but mm -hmm. mediums are one form of evidence, and and it's um, and it's a significant form of evidence. So you know, we include that in, in all of the you know the work that we do. Whenever we have. Um, you know, we've held huge conferences in various major cities all over the country, and we get all the experts together. But we never have a, a, an, a an event or a conference um, without interjecting um, 
mediumship into it, you know, along with the scientists, which is always kind of interesting <laughs> because they present their own type of evidence. So, yeah. And then some of the evidence is compelling. I mean, right now, I don't know um, if you've seen um, the Netflix uh, docuseries Surviving Death, um, you know, we're featured in one of the episodes. Um, oh, wow. and, that, that, and that whole series is... Um, pretty much what we've been talking about you know one segment mm -hmm. is on death experiences one's on on reincarnation mediumship and so forth i'll have to check that out somebody else actually has suggested that i watch that also it's been kind yeah, of yeah we're in the one of, we're in the fourth episode there's this there's, there's six and you know they spent i can't even count you know probably more than 50 hours you know filming you know, me and my wife and, and and one of they came to one of the grief retreats that we we held and of course the nature of television and production is that you know they'll film 50 hours and you know maybe you'll get 30 minutes in the show but <laughs> but that's okay <laughs> yeah um so how does the science fall into this like what kind of science is used to study life after death well, um, one of the most compelling forms, as I mentioned, near-death experiences, mm -hmm. the, uh, the folks uh, uh, at the um, University of Virginia um, uh, Division of Perceptual Studies have, have studied reincarnation um, really since the 1940s. Mm -hmm. started with Ian Stevenson and now Bruce Grayson. Um, uh, they studied near-death experiences. I'm sorry, not reincarnation. They do that as well. But near-death experiences... Um, uh, now, nowadays, you know, we have these tremendous uh, resuscitative techniques where not as many, you know, more people can be revived from heart attacks and, and serious uh, illnesses. And um, what the uh, researchers uh, do is, is they um, examine cases where people meet every definition of death. I mean, they have no brain waves, they have no respiration, they have no... Uh, heartbeat, uh, and they, they have no reflexes. So for all intents and purposes, you know, they're dead. They shouldn't be able to have any type of, of cognitive uh, uh, awareness at all. Um, and yet, when after they're revived, um, they have clear and lucid um, experiences that they can relate. And some of them uh, include things such as, you know, uh, traveling to another realm, separating from their body, being able to look down upon their body and describe everything that's going on, you know, meeting uh, deceased uh, relatives, you know, getting downloads of information. Um, and, you know, the, a lot of people use the argument, well, it's, it's really oxygen deprivation and their hallucinations, but oxygen, when you have oxygen deprivation, you're, you're, you're thrashing out wildly, you have anything but you know, clear thinking. Um, and that's what these people describe. Uh, plus the fact that they can um, describe things when they come back that there's no way that they could have known, you know, from uh, being being in another location, you know, when they left their body. So that, um, I, it may be the most compelling um, evidence, you know, for life after death. And, uh, and at the same university and as well as major universities around the world, people study reincarnation, you know, where they children's uh, past life memories or so a child may remember a past life and then they dissect it they investigate you know uh the information that the ch child gives they, they they pull autopsy reports they go to visit 
the locations where the, the child remembers a previous life. Um, they examine, um, uh, you know, the, the likes and dislikes and the habits, you know, of, of the previous person. And there are a couple of really strong cases that they present in that Surviving Death uh, Netflix series. But um, that's, uh, when it comes to reincarnation research, it's really, the, the scientist takes the role of, of, a, um, of an investigator, like a detective, because you, you're putting together the pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, after death communications have been going on, you know, since the dawn of man and, and uh, people have um, all sorts of, of communications that can't be, you know, uh, explained by material uh, uh, thinking, uh, reductivism. So it, it really is, um, you know, you could take Gary, any one of these different disciplines of research that are being done and you can you can dismiss it. But if you're able to step back and examine the, the body of evidence as a whole, um, you know, survival of, of, of um, after physical death, survival of consciousness seems like a logical, you know, explanation. Absolutely. You know, uh, I mean, I've had enough experiences with it myself where I'm a definite believer in it. Um, one of the things that I really find interesting is um, people, I, I, I had interviewed um, PMH Atwater. Yeah. And she had three experiences, three near-death experiences, and all three were totally different. Yeah, and, and, you're and, right. And, and, and I thought that people- was like really, really cool because not everybody's. I, I think what happens with people after they pass away is, um, I, I I think just to make it less shocking to us, it's going to go along the lines of what we are believing and feeling at that time. You're right, and and um, so that explains why somebody in um, this country might have um, a different experience than somebody uh, in an Eastern, you know, culture, because, um, you know, you put into um, a predicament when you're resuscitated and you come back, you know, to your, to your body that you have to put what you experienced into words, you know, mm-hmm. and the ears call it, you know, it's, it's ineffable. You can't put it into words, but so I might, say that I saw, uh, I traveled to an afterlife realm and I, you know, I saw a religious figure, you know, somebody here might say they saw Jesus or somebody mm-hmm. in, an, in another country might say they saw uh, Buddha or, you know, or Muhammad or, you know, because that's their culture. And if they see what they interpret as some sort of a heavenly being, um, they have to put it into a frame of reference. And, and you're right. I mean, not every experience is the same and not everybody um, you know, all the 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 experiences are, are different. Some people, as you know, they describe going through a tunnel and then moving towards a light. But that's only like a 30, 40 percent of the people that experience that, you know, others don't. Mm-hmm. So it's not a set thing that everybody has exactly, the, you know, the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, you know, there are some really interesting cases where, you know, there's one where a, a woman um was 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 physically dead. She had all the the blood drained from her body, and and um, while they're p- performing a procedure, and then you know later when they when she came back to life, they resuscitated her. You know she told people that she was above 
the hospital looking down outside, mm-hmm. you know, and she said she convinced one of the nurses to go up to the sixth floor, I believe, and, and told her exactly where to look at, what window to look out. And she said, you'll see two sneakers. And she told them her the, the color and the position of the sneakers with the laces undone. Um, and just to humor her, they went up there and sure enough, yeah, that's what they found. So, you know, the experiences saw this from her vantage point out of her body. But how do you, you know, how do you explain something like that? Unless she, you know, before she went in, she took a helicopter ride and noticed it, you know, so um, some of the cases are, are extraordinary and they're yes. really hard to refute. Yeah. My, uh, my father had a, a heart, we had tons of heart attacks, but during one, he had died for quite a long time. And me being the weird son that I am, I asked him, I said, what was it like? And and he had described himself as like, he said he was hovering above his body and he saw them like trying to resuscitate him. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden he was back in his body again. And and also with him, um, when he was passing, you know, I had him in hospice at home and I was the one that was taking care of him. And we had to put a baby monitor in a room with him so he could hear if he was in pain or something. And um, and he was having full-on conversations with people that had already passed. Yep. It was, yeah. it was incredible. It was, uh, there's yeah, no way to absolutely. explain it. But he was, I, I believe they were there. I believe that there was people, like family members, loved ones, were there just trying to you know get him to let go. You're right. And these end of life experiences or deathbed visions are, um, though I kept a secret, you know, I mean, if you talk to a lot of people that work in hospice, it's common, they know it. Um, uh, They, uh, but they don't talk about it openly for fear of, you know, uh, you know, of of being judged. But I've had a lot of firsthand experience with that. I know my my wife, Fran, uh, passed in in September and, it was a long, painful ordeal, you know, also in hospice and near the end, um, she was having conversations with her, you know, deceased aunt, you know, who she was very close with and, and, um, and um, you know, helped, uh, you know, bring her up. Um, and that, but it was something that I was well-versed in and I expected it and I appreciated it. I've had many accounts uh, in close family like that. And, the implications are that we all have help, you know, when, when we're moving from one realm to the next, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's very comforting to the, to the experiencer when, when that happens, because, you know, there's a lot of fear connected with uh, with physical dying and uh, the reassurance and that you're going to, a, to another place and somebody's there to escort you, so to speak, is, must be um, wonderful. You know, you know, I had a had a, an incident once when my mother was a couple of years ago when she passed. She was sitting in a in a recliner, and 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 those of us there and from the family were sitting like in a semicircle, facing in chairs, facing the recliner, and the center seat directly in front of her was empty. And all of a sudden, my, my mother started, you know, blurting out, mom, you know, mom. And, and it was clear that they sure she saw, you know, her mom there. And um, my father happened to walk into the room. And he's at that time and he saw the empty chair 
So he sat down in the chair and my mother, as sick as she was, started going nuts. You know, it's like, get up, get up, get up. And so my father didn't realize that he sat on his mother-in-law, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, you know th these things um, are so commonplace. And, and, you know, we've talked to uh, medical doctors that, that are hosp hospice administrators, administrators um, and uh, they are convinced now you know that uh, because such a large percentage of the patients you know show the matter of fact that's how the nurses know when death is 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 very close because when they, once they start seeing their deceased relatives or loved ones usually physical death is you know a couple of days away yeah um it, you know it's You know, it, it like I, I when we I talk about this topic and, and we <clears throat> even the term death. Sometimes I think we should just do away with the term death and just call it a transition. Agreed. <laughs> or or maybe we should we should reterm the word afterlife. You know, maybe there's just life and it's new just, life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because there's so much evidence that that there way more than what we're experiencing that, that we're not our bodies um one of the things though I, I, you know and I, and I see this on your website which is interesting is, is the um is grief you know i think the hardest thing with people passing is not so much the person that's passing but those of us that are left behind here who have to feel the grief um, how do you use the knowledge that there's life after death to help manage grief? Well, that, that's really sort of, you know, our purpose. You know that the majority of mental health professionals, you know, today, therapists and psychiatrists and so forth, I mean, when they're treating somebody in grief, they're usually um, wow. trying to get the person the to... The five stages of death and grief. Uh, yeah, stuff. and also thing, things <laughs> like, you know, to, to separate and move on with your life and, you know, get over it, you know, and they may prescribe medication or they may, you know, coping techniques and so forth. But then there are others that are more progressive thinking that, that do the opposite. They say, listen, nothing wrong with you. Con continue um, the relationship that you had and just in a different way and embrace them and look for signs and, 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 you know, and talk to them and, and do whatever. So, I mean, there have been peer reviewed research studies that show that those who, who believe um, in life after death do better, you know, in the grief than those who don't. And it's logical. It makes sense. It gives you some hope. Um, and specifically with, with mediumship, um, I mean, we've seen it through the years. I mean, if somebody gets a really compelling, very evidential uh, medium reading, um, they can they can be they can flip their their perspective, you know, and and move from the depths of horrible grief to one of you know hope and and, and comfort and some some meaning and purpose. Uh, so, you know, uh, we, we've had. You know, we, we've been holding these, when I say we, the for Family Foundation has been holding these grief retreats for many years. And, and we see, you know, a tangible difference. You know, people walk into the weekend on Friday and, and they're, 
um, just horribly grieving and they can't smile and you can barely talk. And then, you know, then when they leave, you know, there's a lightness that, that comes. And, and the thing is, what worries us is, you know, how long, what's the staying power? How long does that last? You know, some people, it stays forever and some mm -hmm. people, you know, go back into the real world and their everyday life and, and they start to question again. And that's why I think it's important to not just become a, a junkie for, for mediums, but to learn about all the evidence. So you could, you know, you have a foundation of belief um, that you could rely upon, but absolutely. I mean, now, you know, I mean, as I mentioned, so my, my wife, after 46 years of marriage, she just passed. I, I barely remember my life without her. Mm -hmm. And I know, I mean, I've been doing this, you know, for 20 years. I, I you know, I know the evidence. Um, I know the, the communications. I know the personal experiences. But, um, you know, we're still human and we still love and we still miss them in the physical, you know. And, you know, to suggest that you're going to instantly like take a magic pill right. and you get over your grief is absurd, you know, yes. but you know, having th this knowledge um, will enable you to, to dig yourself out of those deep chasms of despair and to, you know, have many periods where, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're fine, so to speak. So, um, and, and I think that those who refuse to acknowledge it, um, and don't believe it are at a disadvantage because they have no way of, of, uh, of digging out. You know, sometimes people get defined by their grief. And what I mean by that is mm. that they, you know, their life becomes their loss. Yes. And if you suggest to them that their loved one might indeed still, you know, survive and still form that they, they not only object to that, but they take it as an affront. Um, um, it's somehow the suggestion that their loved one still survives is, is um, lessens the depth of their grief, you know, and then, and then, and then now that's because that's how they define their life. So those, you know, those cases are certainly a challenge. And, um, and I've seen people, you know, move away from that, but there are others that stay like that their whole lives. And, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, you know, like like my parents passed away pretty close together, and when that happened, happened, you know, and I was with both of them when they passed. Um, you know, the the even though I had I, I had like a, still I had a solid belief in life after death, definitely at that time, because of everything that I had experienced going th through the process with them, it still hurt a lot. You know, the the missing them. It took me. Sometimes I, I think like maybe I was a slow, slow type of person or something because it took me like a good you know, three years to really start feeling okay again. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, especially like with my mom, I feel like she's still with me. You know, I still like feel like she's following me around, <clears throat> nagging me when I'm doing something wrong, and and it is. Uh, is comforting in a way. Yeah, and it should be. And, and you know, there's no timetable. I mean, you mentioned three years. It's, you know, there, you know, it's it, sometimes it's for a lot of people, it's, you know, it's many more years until mm -hmm. they start feeling better. And some, you know, uh, it's, not, it's not so long. So everybody's different. And like you mentioned before, like the different stages of grief, I always thought those were 
kind of bullshit because yeah, I do too. You, you know, the, I experienced all those different stages all at once. You know, it wasn't a linear progress, you know, progression. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, I, I think that you have to, you know, I, I like to describe it. I, if, you, if you do these surveys and they ask people if they believe in life after death, I mean, most people will say yes, but what they really mean is that they hope, you know, I haven't really seen any evidence, but they, they hope, you know, like a, 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 like a, a vague faith, you know, mm -hmm. and then others kind of move from that hope stage, you know, into the belief stage, you know, they have some, some foundation, you know, for the belief. And then others move from that into the knowing stage, you know, and, and that knowing stage usually happens not from the research, but from a profound personal experience that they have, like, you know, a, it could be a near-death experience. It could be a dream visitation. It could be a, a medium reading that was, you know, wildly evidential, or it could be a some sort of after-death communication. You know, so uh, you know, and those um, people in that knowing stage do pretty well in their grief, you know, because that they, they they have the, the they live their lives knowing that they're going to see their loved one again. You know, at, at physical. A physical time is just a blip in a continuum, you know. So yeah. it, it can, learning about that stuff is certainly helpful. You found some comfort, you know, early on, and you still do. Uh, I guess if you consider three years early on, I mean, through the whole process, mm -hmm. I knew. And one of the things, like you mentioned, that really hit a key with me is during that whole three-year period where I was grieving, I kept saying to myself, I'm not going to let this define me. <laughs> I'm not going to let this become my life. You know, yeah, yeah, and uh, but instead, it's become like this curiosity, and not even almost like an obsession. You know, like 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 most people now, like like, like most people, are like oh, I don't want to be around people when they're dying. I don't want to see somebody die. Now, me, like I'm kind of curious about it. You know, because one, like being with somebody when they're dying, I I actually think it's kind of peaceful and nice, and you know, it's not this awful thing. And, um, but I have like this real curiosity about it because, you know, it, it, it is not just being curious about what happens after death, but it also makes me curious about what is life? Like, actually, like, what is this? Like, what am I, what am I living in now? Yeah, sometimes it doesn't seem to make much sense, does it? You know, no, it's, it's like, a, what's the purpose? It's, it's a really bizarre question. When you start asking like those questions, it's like, like the brain just sort of gets stuck in some kind of weird loop. Yeah. Well, you know, I have this battle a lot, like this inner battle. Um, you know, because being immersed in the in this so-called you know spiritual community. Um, you know, when when my daughter passed, it was in an accident, and it was pretty much of an instant thing. You know, with with my wife, uh, she was suffering um, a lot. You know, yeah. pancreatic cancer, and and um, and I they reached a point um, which didn't happen till close to the end. You know, where she finally relented and, and came to the realization. Um, that she, she was going to die and she was, um, you know, a firm believer and she had this inner knowledge of what happens, you know, after we die and she wasn't afraid of it. 
But what concerns she she couldn't understand why she even said at one point that there's a line. And I said, what do you mean a line of people? He said, no, there's a line that they won't let me cross. Um, and it was frustrating to her because, you know, she was in horrible pain. Um, and, and so the spiritual community says, well, you know, that's because she still has lessons to learn and lessons to teach. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, come on, <laughs> you know, the lessons are already learned and taught, you know, th this is just pure suffering. I, yeah. I don't see any further lesson in this, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I wasn't buying that argument. Uh, but yet that's what, you know, a, a lot of people will try to comfort you by saying. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't discount the fact that we may be on this earth to, to learn, you know, certain right. truths and lessons, but near the end, um, when it's time to go, it's time to go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, in fact, like while you and I were, have been talking, my wife just sent me a text message saying that she got her, her aunt is really sick and is in hospice and she went to go take care of her and he had to get her will and the power of attorney and all that stuff notarized. And because her aunt can't leave the house, she had to have somebody come to the house and do it. She just sent me a message saying, oh, I got everything notarized. I was like, oh, that's good. And I told her that I'm doing this interview as we're talking. She's sending me this message. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that was like actually like, like one of the frustrating parts I find about that was like it's with my parents was all that legal nonsense. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like I'm grieving. I just want to be able to feel my feelings. I don't want to have to go to the bank 20 freaking times a week and deal with lawyers and all that nonsense. I know it doesn't end either. It's just, it's, you know, paperwork after paperwork. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable how much legal crap goes along with dying. Like, why can't he just let people die? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know and I, I think I've also changed my views over the years, you know, with, with, um, you know, regarding, um, you know, assisted, assisted suicide you know and then at the beginning i always thought that you know what a, what a horrible thing but um i kind of have shifted my belief that it, you know when when there's you know no more hope and suffering uh, it's more of a blessing than um than something to, you know uh, that's sinful mm -hmm. you know uh because um you know i just once there is no purpose left and once there is no uh you know, you're not functioning really as a human being. Um, it's okay. <laughs> you know, we're, we're taught that we stand around our, our dying loved ones and we keep telling them they have to fight and they have to eat and they have to be strong, mm -hmm. you know, and most of them just look at you like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> the, the, the fight is over, you know, get, get, get real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that too. I, I do believe that, um, you know, it, 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 like assisted, you know, just or just like letting people go in general and try not to keep them going too long is is humane. It's, it's the best thing to do. And it, like with our aunt, it was like it, it's been bizarre because it's like oh, we gotta keep her li uh, alive and aware enough just to to get this paperwork done. And it's like Jesus, yeah, <laughs> paperwork comes first. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so how do you feel, you know, like like other than mediums, you know, about people who 
do it themselves, who will do like seances, Ouija boards, or try to enhance their own psychic powers to connect with loved ones. Is that something that you would encourage people to do rather than becoming dependent upon mediums? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we kind of what um, I write about that a lot in the book. And, and, and that is, you know, we, you know, we can become, you know, personal communicators. You know, the goal is to, you know, is that we, we won't need the services of, of, of a medium anymore. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, what we find is that, look, we all have intuitive ability to some degree. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of them. I'm not very intuitive. Others are very intuitive. Uh, but the point is that a lot of the people that, that, that are become mediums, you know, they just have intuitive ability like everybody else. And, and somebody, um, says to them, wow, you know, how did you know that you should be a medium? Um, um, and you know, or they, they suffered a loss, you know, and they feel that, uh, now they are meant, you know, to, to, to be a medium. And it's, mm-hmm. in most cases that it, it's not true. I mean, mediumship is real, real serious business. I mean, you're sitting with fragile people that are in very, you know, uh, profound states of grief and, and you're the lifeline, you get, they get a bad reading from you and you're, you, you know, you're, 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 you're doing harm, you know, and not good because they're walking away even worse than feeling worse than they did before. Um, I think that a lot of people um, misunderstand that they use the term, you know, a psychic and a medium interchangeably. Um, and there's, psychic information, you know, which is mind to mind communication between, you know, two people that are in the physical world, you know, reading each other's mind. And then there's mediumship, which is essentially the same principle. It's still telepathy. It's just that one of the communicating parties doesn't have a physical body, but Mm -hmm. it's still mind to mind. If we think of the mind as consciousness, it's still mind to mind communication. So um, when we um, evaluate these mediums to see if they um, can really do what they, what, what they claim. The challenge is really separating the two because if, if a medium is doing a reading for the sitter and just blurts out, Hey, I see that you're taking a trip to Hawaii in a year. Um, well, okay. Well, but how do you evaluate that statement? You know, the right. year hasn't happened yet. And, you know, the purpose of a medium is to provide evidence that, Mm-hmm. that we survive a physical death. So that's just a piece of psychic information. Yeah. Are, 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 there, are, are there psychics that use mind-to-mind communication but sell themselves as mediums? Like they'll just be yes. reading somebody else's mind, but yet they're saying they're getting it from somewhere beyond, from the other person, who's from the deceased's mind rather yeah. than the client's yeah. mind? Absolutely. And, you know, so when we train these sitters, you know, to sit with the mediums and score these readings, we tell them if the piece of information is not tied directly to a discarnate entity, that you can't score that information, and you certainly can't score it as a hit. So, so in other words, um, you know, let's say that the the medium says to the sitter, um, "I see that you uh, you just painted your room purple," and let's say you know the sitter ju- just did paint their room purple, so they get all excited. I mean, that is an extraordinary, you know, hit and very specific, but it does nothing to prove that there's life after death, you know, because it's just that maybe, you know, reading the person's mind or the theory is that 
you know, there's a super psi theory that there are these information fields, you know, p- people heard, you heard the term Akashic field, yes. or mm-hmm. physicists just talk about, um, you know, uh, information fields where um, it's a storehouse of information so that some people are simply able to pick out a piece of information from these information fields. And they also use that as an argument against mediumship too. Um, you know, but, you know, if the, when they're doing a reading, so now let's say the medium is bringing through your deceased mom and, and bringing through all sorts of obscure evidence from, you know, your mother that the medium could not have known. And then the medium says, hey, your mom's telling me, by the way, she likes that you just painted your room purple. Well, now it's a piece of information that can be scored because it's coming from a discarnate source. We've already uh, established that. So it's it's a difficult problem to, to separate psychic information from mediumship information, but the mediums will all tell you, at least all the good ones, that they, they can tell the difference because there's a different feel to the information and they all have different ways that they do that. And, and they'll feel an obligation to tell the sitter, by the way, this is a, a psychic uh, piece of information uh, as opposed to uh, mediumistic because it's, it's unfair to, you know, to uh, as a medium to give information that's not coming from a source that you can identify. So the answer to your question is, yeah, absolutely. You know, whether they're they're reading the, the sitter's mind or they're reading somebody else's mind or they're pulling out information, um, it is different. And, and they are advertising themselves as, as psychics. And not, you know, you may have heard people say that uh, that all mediums are psychics, you know, but not mm-hmm. all psychics, you know, are mediums. And I've come across that many, many, many times over and over again that people are are great psychics, but they can't communicate with the dead. So it's, uh, um, you know, it, 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 it's an issue. And, uh, and then of course, people that are, that are psychics, they, they do these readings, uh, these uh, readings for sitters uh, under the guise of being a medium, but then all the information is, can't be scored and they'll say general things and they'll use cold reading techniques and, you know, and, size you up and repeat the same information, you know, a couple of times and, you know, twist things around and, uh, you know, and that's an issue, you know, plus we live in a, in the age of, uh, you know, of Google. I mean, you know, you could find out somebody's life story, you know, with a couple of clicks <laughs> and, you know, a hundred years ago, that wasn't a problem, but now it is, you know, I mean, an, uh, an unscrupulous medium, can easily find out a tremendous amount of information by doing just a little bit of research and then repeat it during a reading. <laughs> That's one of the things like my wife will say, like when I've interviewed a medium, I said, wow, this person got a lot right. She's like, well, how do you know they didn't look you up on Facebook? Yeah. Well, the, the, the key is if they're given the information that, yeah. that only you and the deceased knew and it doesn't appear yeah, anywhere. Like, like I did have one who knew that I had a great grandfather named Moses. I'm like, yeah, that's that one's not on Facebook. <laughs> no. Okay. So, all right. Well, that that's a good. That would be a strong hit. You know. Um, you know, over the years and being surrounded by mediums and and having you know some of the top mediums in the world that that are certified by our foundation, I never got a medium reading from one of them in, in the past seventeen years, simply because I couldn't trust the information because you know too much of my story is out there and easily. Uh, 
uncovered. So I knew that I wouldn't trust the information. So what's the point of having the reading? You know, so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's a problem, but, you know, in the, in the scoring methods that we use, um, we found that over the years, the mediums that we've certified um, have uh, been tremendously consistent. You know, they really have a, a session where they don't, you know, get us have a strong reading and walk a lot of them have gone on to, to participate in mediumship research and, and so So it's not a foolproof system, but, but it works pretty well. Our problem is that many of the mediums that we've certified over the years have become famous. And once they become famous, it's an issue because they either stop doing readings they have four year waiting lists or they charge crazy amounts of money. Um, and we, 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 we started the program as a, as a resource for the bereaved. So what good does it do you if you want to, uh, you're in terrible grief and you want to get a medium reading and you go on a three year waiting list, you know, <laughs> or you can't afford it. You know? So what is, what is your opinion of somebody like the Long Island medium? Well, um, I mean, I won't get into, into a lot of specifics. I mean, I can tell you that we did certify her in 2005. Uh, she, uh, she went on to uh, become famous, as an example. Ridiculously famous. You know, you know, she's no longer certified by our foundation, uh, but um, she, she is and, you know, was as evidenced during the testing procedures, you know, you know, qualified medium. But once you get into like TV shows, you know, that stuff is all staged. I mean, you know, you walk into a pizza shop and miraculously there are three TV cameras behind the counter to, to view, you know, to film what's going on, you know, and, and, and if you're, and if you're doing a, a session and, and you're filming for an hour or two, and you have a, um, uh, a, you know, uh, a bunch of information that was correct and a bunch of information is incorrect. What are they going to show when they edit it? They're going to show only the hits and never the misses. So it's not an accurate portrayal of, of true mediumship ability. Uh, I mean, sh she is a good medium. There's no mm -hmm. question about it. But don't judge a medium by their uh, by a TV show because you know, that that's all production and edited, you know. What I don't like is like my wife had become obsessed with her for a little while and then she was doing a, an event like near where we lived and it was like $350 to go sit in a, like a stadium of like 5,000 people hoping yeah. that she'll pick you. Yeah, like, <laughs> I know. I'm like, you know, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like like yeah. paying that much money and the chances of getting called on are like 10 out of 5,000. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. And I have a chapter about that in my book. I mean, if you go, um, I have a real problem with mediums doing these large venues because as you just described, you've got 3,000 people driving to that, or, that, or, uh, that arena um, convinced that, that the love that they had, the love bond that they had between them and their deceased loved one was so strong that their loved one is going to find a way to get through, even though the, you know, the big crowd. And then, you know, you do the math, there's 3,000 people, maybe during the course of the whole time, the medium will do six readings, you know, 
So six out of what are the, you know, what your odds are like <laughs> of getting a reading and paying that kind of money and then going home disappointed. Um, I have a real problem with that. I do know? too. Like I wonder like, <laughs> how a medium can live with themselves with that, you know? Yeah. And, and you know what the answer is? I mean, I understand that if somebody is going there because they want to see a, 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 um, a TV star, you know, or somebody that's famous and you go under that pretense, that's fine, you know, but if you're going, because um, I never recommend, you know, group readings for somebody um, that is looking to, to, to make a connection. I mean, it's okay in these small little groups where you might have five or six people, but once you get into the large groups, I mean, there are a lot of factors that come into play. Um, there's a lot of spirits that may be lining up, you know, to try to come in and the medium has to discern which one, or uh, you may not get a reading, or maybe that the information is very private that you don't want disclosed in a group, you know, or maybe your loved one on the other side doesn't want, you know, that information, you know, out there to be shared. So, um, you know, groups serve their purpose, especially, you know, when they're small, um, they're also more affordable, you know, than yeah. private reading. Uh, but the, those big ones, you know, I can't agree with you more. I, I see no value in those. Now, when we have these, um, sometimes we'll have an event and we'll have a retreat, you know, and we may have, um, you know, we've had situations where there have been, you know, 100 people, you know, in a room, you know, while a medium is doing a reading. Usually we'll have multiple mediums in those cases. But, um you know, the mediums will move around, you know, and they won't, you know, dwell for 20, 25 minutes on one person. And a, and a substantial number of people get readings, you know, and of course, the, the cost is very, very affordable, you know, and they might spend, mm -hmm. you know, 20, 30 bucks to be there. So, you know, that I could see, but but having a tremendous crowd is, is not useful. Yeah, you know, and too, like, when I, when I think about this idea of this, having these big crowds, there has to be an enormous amount of spiritual energy flowing. And I, I wonder if like the, these type of mediums maybe use that type of energy to their advantage in order to give a few people a really good reading by using all the energy that's in the room from the other, you know, 3,000 people. Well, I'm not so sure. I think that may work against uh, the process because mm -hmm. now in physical mediumship, which is a whole nother ball game, they it, supposedly, you know, the spirit entity would feed off of the energy in the room and there would be all these physical manifestations like levitations and apports and things like that. But in mental mediumship, um, you know, one of the mediums at one of our grief retreats didn't exist. He wanted to make a point. So he said to everybody, there were 50 people in the room. And he said to everybody, I want, I want everybody to turn to the person, you know, next to them and start having a conversation. And of course, you know, in the next, you know, minute, I mean, you could, the, the drone in the room was deafening. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just hear, you know, constant chatter and conversations going on. And then he said, okay, now welcome to my world, you know, because I have all of your loved ones here, you know, that want to get through and I have to figure out, you know, who belongs to what, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, it's sort of that he's got to just hone in and, 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 and pretty much ask the others to step aside while he, while he communicates. It, it could be, I could just imagine it's a daunting task for the medium. Um, and that's why it's another reason why groups are, are sometimes, uh, you know, problematic, at least if you're one-on-one. -on -one. 
you know, and even when we were doing these um, evaluation sessions, you know, with the mediums, I purposely, um, I mean, now we do them via Zoom, but when we were doing them in the physical, I wouldn't be anywhere nearby because I'd be afraid that maybe they'd pick up, you know, one of my loved ones, you know, which is kind of defeat the purpose of, uh, of what we were doing. So, um, yeah, I think it is an issue. I think that um, usually there are multiple channels that are going on at once. You know, we were um, involved um, with uh, Yale Medical School, who's currently doing a, a study, because um, what they're trying to do is study intuitive people and specifically mediums to figure out how they are able to turn off the communications, you know, or, or, or uh, uh, you know, or, or have them recede because they're hoping that they could use that information in, you know, with patients that have mental uh, disorders that hear voices that cannot, you know, except, you know, they, they prescribe medication, but uh, they have trouble turning off voices that they hear. Yes. And there are many people that, that are put in that category of having mental illness that are simply intuitive. You know, they're, they're hearing voices and they just don't know how to, or, you know, they're hearing maybe spirit mm -hmm. entities and they just don't know how to, how to deal with it and how to navigate their lives and, you know, and then handle these voices. So it's an, it's an interesting concept. The, the mediums tell me that, um, yes, they can be off duty, you know, where they just ask their guides or they just say, you know, they're shut down. But I've also been in social situations with them, you know, we'll be having a drink and then all of a sudden, um, they'll just start staring and they'll see somebody else in the room and their loved one is coming through and they feel, you know, the, like the information is bubbling up. So, uh, so I, I don't know that you're, they're ever really turned off. Like you're flipping a switch. You know, they're just letting the information recede, you know? Yeah. You know, that's always one of the things that I always thought is that, that people who, you know, have mental conditions where they're hearing or seeing different things that maybe it's not a actual mental condition, but rather like a broken filter where they're perceiving too much at one time and not, yeah. able, to not able to process it. Yeah. And, and actually that's a concept that was written about by William James and some of the pioneers in psychical research and that the, the, their model was that our physical brains act as a reducing valve or a filter. And, and without that, we wouldn't be able to go about our, our daily lives because there's information always coming in from all sources, but our, our physical brains are able to, to filter out, um, you know, uh, and leave only, you know, what we need to, to survive. So that's a that's a sound concept. I also believe that, you know, because uh, uh, the physical brain, you know, that that is one of one of the purposes, because let's face it, if you're constantly getting information coming out 24 seven, how, how would you live your life? You know? Right. And also with, with those people, they're almost always the smartest and most creative people. Yeah, you know, very often it's true. Um, and there are people um, today, like you, you're probably aware of synesthesia, where where there's a all the senses or multiple senses combined. Oh yeah, like, like where you can like taste the color. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's extraordinary, and and that 
kind of matches up with a lot of descriptions that people give about what the afterlife is like. You know, that, that it's a, you know, the, the heightened sensory experience, you know, and they describe those things, you know, and uh, uh, that, that makes sense to me, you know. But people that, that have synesthesia, you know, they do have difficulties, you know, generally in the in their physical lives for that very reason. It's just, you know, multiple sensory overload, you know, have to learn how to control it. Yeah. Um, you know, that was also like my wife used to work with uh, autistic adults, you know, and some of them were like really, really sensitive to, to certain types of, you know, either sound or color, light. Yeah, there's um, there's a um, a member of our uh, scientific advisory board, Dr. Uh, Diane Powell, and she's done a uh, tremendous amount of research uh, with autistic children, um, and they are um, hugely psychic. Um, for the for the most part, many of them are are like um, you know savants, psychic right. savants. You know they uh, they get information um, uh, from non physical sources. You know on a on a regular basis. You know uh, so there's there's some she's trying to uncover you know the connection that allows that to happen. You know because we could all learn for it. But yeah, you know the the physical brain could be um, inhibited in certain, you know, certain ways, but that doesn't diminish that, that open channel to, to non-physical information. It yeah. certainly appears that way. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty cool that there's actually somebody looking into that. I had no idea that, you know, there's actually people researching, you know, people with autism and psychic abilities. That is such a cool thing. Yeah, it is cool. And, and, and uh, yeah, and, you know, you can, you could uh, look her up, you know, Diane Powell, she's done, done some incredible research and she continues to do it. You know, she's invest brilliant uh, uh, medical doctor and um, she's studying uh, consciousness from a, from a different angle. Huh. I'm going to have to see if I can find her and get her on his show. Yeah. Yeah. That'd absolutely. be awesome. Yeah. So when you're working with clients back to the, um, like how do you teach them to contact or contact their loved ones on their own without relying on a mediumship? Do you suggest like meditation exercises or do you suggest that they do things like EVPs? Like, um, yeah, all of those. I mean, you know, the, I guess the, the key is to, to enhance the possibility of you getting these communications is to, is to get into an altered state of consciousness. And that can be because that's essentially what mediums do. I mean, you can um, it can be through meditation. It could be through you know mindfulness, uh, um, various uh, exercises. It could be through, you know, nature or music or art. Um, they all can be forms of, of meditation. Um we even at our grief retreats, we even have a shaman that we bring in, you know, that, that does uh, various, uh, you know, teaches various exercises to, mm. to, to, to open your, your, your mind. Um, and um, the, the mediums, you know, teach these things because their goal is also to have as many people being able to communicate um, as, as frequently, 
as frequently as they can. You know, the, the most common way that people report having these experiences is through these dream visitations because their 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 monkey mind chatter is put aside when they're in this REM state of sleep, and that the theory is that that provides a channel that the people the discarnate can um, recognize and use that as, as sort of like a conduit to get through, you know, when they can't in your normal waking state. So, um, and then, you know, it's, it's, we also teach things like remaining open. I mean, I, I was getting all of these, um, after my daughter passed, these incredible, you know, signs and communications, and I dismissed every one as coincidence. And I did that for many, many years. I just refused to relent. Right. Um, until one day uh, I did, you know, because the evidence was too, you know, overwhelming. But um, yeah, we, we, we try to, to get people, um, and there, there are different, you know, breathing techniques and so forth, but, you know, anything that'll kind of put your, your chat of mind that side aside and, and, and let information flow. Um, and of course, you know, it, it takes practice. I mean, you mentioned EVP, um, that's something that you know very few people are aware aware of. Um, I um, have been interested in that for years, and so was the foundation. And we used to work with a lot of researchers that that would study it. And the thing that's attractive about electronic voice phenomena is that it provides tangible evidence. You have a recording. Yeah. You know, it's not like something that you read or third party information. I mean, you're you're hearing it yourself. And you know, as you probably know, the you know the process involves. Um, taking a uh, recording device, you know, back in the day, they were these reel to reel, you know, tape recorders, and now they're, they're all digital. And you simply uh, set your intention, perhaps ask somebody in particular, that's on the other side to come through, turn on the recorder for 30 seconds, um, and then listen to the playback. And of course, um, the kind of the amazing part of it is that there's never been an EVP recording that's heard live as it's happening. It's only on playback. I, I don't know why I've heard a million different theories, but that's just the way it is. And also some people experiment with it for years before they start getting them. You know, there are some people that better at getting EVPs than others, but uh, I have uh, now a, a friend, a close friend that was also a friend of my wife's who also happens to be one of our certified mediums. And she has been interested in EVP for many, many years. And what she's been doing is holding weekly sessions in which she asks my wife seven or eight very specific pointed questions, you know, waiting for a response. And we've seen some, um, you know, some unbelievable responses, you know, I mean, in one of them, the question to my wife was, what's the name of the organization that you founded? Um, and you hear faintly, but very clearly forever family foundation, you know, it's like, how do you, you know, how do you explain that, you know, and there have been others that were um, equally, you know, significant. So, you know, that for me has been very comforting, you know, sort of been my lifeline, you know, because I haven't had I had one dream visitation. I haven't had any other direct communications and, you know, I, I don't, I haven't gone to mediums, you know, so um, I, I, I look forward to those, you know, and I'm amazed at when they, when they occur. That's awesome. So 
<laughs> that is a good EVP if she was able to save forever family foundation. That's definitely a class A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, and it's and the nature of these EVPs is, is you know, they're, they're very, very short. You know, during you know, a couple of seconds, you know, and she got you know the whole thing in there, uh, you know, plus a lot of uh, very uh, significant. There, there was one that happened last week where I sometimes I'll, I'll talk out loud, you know, to my wife, and uh, I was standing at <laughs> it's something silly. I'm I'm standing at the sink washing the dishes. And I said, I don't care what you say. This sink is really poorly divine, uh, um, poorly uh, um, designed because water splatters all over the counter when you run, you know, when you run it. And then um, I get an EVP message saying, um, uh, you know, kitchen sink. <laughs> you know, but the day after, I just said that out loud. You know, so you know. Why would she say that? You know, because she saw it goes to show you that they are aware um, of things that are happening in real time in our physical lives. Yeah. You know, we had a, um, I think I have this story in the book, but one of our certified mediums had a, a situation where she was doing a reading for a woman. She does the readings in her home, has an office in her home. And during the reading, she started bringing through this woman's deceased mom. And she was bringing through a lot of very, very specific evidence. So this woman knew without a doubt that the medium was connecting, you know, with her, her deceased mom. And then all of a sudden the medium yelled out, shot fired, shot fired, one dead. And then said, three shots fired, two dead, you know, and, 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 and she said, four shots fired, three dead. And the woman is looking at her like, this medium is out of her mind. They're like, why would my mother be saying that? You know, that makes no sense at all. And then 10 seconds later, they heard outside the, um, the house that they were in uh, sirens, and um, multiple sirens, you know, and four or five uh, police cars, you know, pulling up in the house, you know, next door. And it turns out that at that very moment, there was a couple who lived in the house next door who, who were estranged. And the estranged husband came back and murdered um, uh, his wife and his child and, and, and his mother-in-law. And there were four shots fired and three were dead. Um, and that was really unbelievable because yeah. that information was coming from a discarnate source, her mother, in real time as it was happening. Um, so that's tremendous evidence that there's awareness going on because it didn't happen. Um, you know, I mean, they didn't hear the sirens until after that information, you know, was communicated. That's crazy. Pretty wild, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing that, 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 that this exists, that it's real, that, that we, we, we are not our bodies and, um, so, so what are we? Are we just consciousness? Um, yeah, essentially. I mean, that's what we are. And we think of ourselves, we identify ourselves by our physical bodies and our brain. I mean, if, if you ask somebody who they are, I mean, they'll tell you their name and they'll tell you how tall they are and the color of their eyes and, you know, and perhaps they're, you know, where they work and their likes and dislikes, you know, and that's them, you know, but um 
you know, that, that's really just, just the shell or the hardware, you know, that our true essence, um, whether you call it our, our mind or our soul or our consciousness, doesn't reside in the physical body. Um, and um, when, the, when the body is discarded, um, our, our consciousness just continues. Um, you know, just kind of the way that it was just, just without the physical body. Now, um, so we always, it, it's very hard to, to, to not think in those terms for a lot of people. I think it's preposterous. I mean, I, I was in that camp, you know, I said, that's, it's ridiculous. You know, it's, uh, you know, you, we, we, we're our brains, your brains are dead. We're, we're in the ground and it's over, you know, it's final mm -hmm. and what could possibly survive. But, that, but when you start thinking in different terms, that's not that hard to conceive, you know. So, you know, our shell is gone. Yeah, but who we are is, is still, you know, we're, we're, we're beings of thought and energy. Um, and um, when you think of it in those terms, it, it can be can be sort of life changing because you're not thinking of yourself the way the way that you used to. Right. See, to me, it almost makes more sense that we are consciousness. What kind of science baffles me? Like, how do we get stuck in these bodies? Oh, yeah. Oh, what, what's the purpose of physical life? Yeah. Right? I mean, if like, we well, have all, well, if we have all these opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if life. It's like is, going from being unlimited to limited. Yeah. You know, and, and the answer that you get from a lot of people to that question is that they describe, I heard it once described as, as a physical rush, you know, that in the afterlife realm, um, being, a, you know, not having the restriction of a physical body and not having any of the restrictions of our physical laws, you can't get the same experience as going through a physical lifetime. Um, I mean, that, that's the explanation that I've heard, you know, you know, many times. So it serves a purpose. And you can't get the same type of growth um, and learning that you can, um, you know, in, in realms outside of the physical world. It's got to so, be a better way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I have a problem with it because why shouldn't there should be even more opportunities for growth on the other side? You know, you know, although near death experiencers um, all describe, not all many, a large percentage percentage describe having a life review. So yes. at the moment of, of death, um, they describe it as a, like a, like a movie uh, that's at super speed that where they see their life played out in front of them. And they describe that feeling, feel physically feeling both the pain and the joy that they um, inflicted upon others. Um, and that can be uh, tough for a lot of people, and and and, and very uh, elating for, for you know for others, um, you know. And so maybe you can't feel that you know if you're just um, in the other realm. I, I I have no idea, but you know I've heard that time and time again to believe it's true that we have this life review. It also suggests that you know when we pass, it's all self judgment. You know, we're not sitting before some tribunal that's saying, okay, you go here and you go there and, you know, and, and being condemned to one place or rewarded with another. It's just, 
you know, we judge the way that we lived our lives and we tend to gravitate towards similar thinking people that are, you know, in, in the non-physical realms. Um, I believe that, you know, um, and, um, and that's borne out by, you know, what near-death experiences say and a lot of the channeled writings throughout history. So, you know, maybe this world does serve a physical purpose. I don't know. It's, it's hard sometimes when you look around us, especially now, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's, uh, I'm open to the fact, you know. I, um, you know, and, and maybe we, we don't recognize this. Um, I, I have a personal theory that doesn't mesh with a lot of the spiritual community. And I think that our physical lives are random, but, it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that it's, the proviso is that it, it's random by design. The randomness is part of the overriding design. So I think that here, you know, people, People die, people suffer, people have good fortune, people, you know, everything happens kind of by the luck of the draw. But um, after, you know, we pass from this physical body, we get to see all the patterns and all the meanings and some order out of the chaos, you know. And there there was a, I read an account by a famous shaman once that said something to the effect that, you know, physical life was like, being at a, in a, in a football stadium, you know, if you sit ground level, you could hear all the sounds and hear all the grunts and see all the blood and sweat, but it's not till you move to the very top row at the very, very top of the stadiums that you get to see the patterns and the organization, you know, and, and maybe that's what it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're in the middle of it here in, in the physical, but once we, move on to another dimension, we get to see the bigger picture. Hmm. Maybe. My theory is that I was floating around the ether and I found this place. I said, I think I just want to try apple pie and have sex. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily in that order. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, all right, I'll do that. Well, and, and I and I disregarded all the un, unpleasant <laughs> aspects of it. Yeah. Well, the theory is, you know, as being this entity of pure thought and energy on the other side that we can kind of manifest what we want, you know, so we can manifest apple pie and have sex if that's, you know, what we desire. Um, so who knows, you know, but travel the universe in the blink of an eye. And it, you know, it's sort of like what we grew up with, with Star Trek, but it's, Maybe that's really the way it is. <laughs> Maybe. It's interesting. Ha, um, ha, have you ever had any near-death experiences yourself? No, no. And that, that's, um, I mean, I, you know, that they say that a significant percentage, you know, maybe in the 10% of the population has, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, but, um, and I've certainly met my share of people that have had near-death experiences, but um, I think that the term is is misused a lot. Every time somebody has something scary happen, they say, "Oh, I had a near-death experience." You know, oh, yeah. it just became part of the vernacular. <laughs> I almost went off the road. It was near-death experience, right? You know, and then you know, incidentally, a near-death experience doesn't not have to be, be accompanied by um, you know by death. You know, people 
are sometimes put in a life-threatening situation. Like maybe it is a car accident where you you know you feel you're you're skidding off the road, you know, and you're going to crash. And in that, those moments, you have a near-death experience, even though you really weren't close to death, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's not as common, but but it does happen. Yeah, like I know for me, like I had an out-of-body experience during a seizure. I had like a really long thirty-minute seizure, and um, and during it, uh, you know, I was just like sort of like in this vortex of just color and sound. I was, it was really peaceful and it was nice, you know, and and, and I, 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 it was cool. And then all of a sudden, like I I heard my wife yelling at me, yelling, "Come back to me! Come back! Come back!" And I was like, ah, I got to go back. And then I woke up and I was in the ambulance and she was yelling at me. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. So, so um, well, were you in a, in a life-threatening situation? Um, I mean, it was a seizure. I was unconscious and okay. I wasn't really breathing right. I, I think my brain may have been like shut off or, yeah. you know, or not shut off, but... But because epilepsy, it creates like a storm in your brain, like just like all this electricity in your brain, yeah. So, so it stops functioning. Um, so well, I, I, I don't know. An out of body experience is a component of of an, of an NDE. So, I mean, who's to say, you know, if you had one or the other, you know, because um, you know you could have had an, you know, a near death experience, but you you. You're terming it as an out-of-body. Yeah, well, I wasn't dead. That's why I, I put it as yeah. an out-of-body. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very similar. And, and you know, there are many people that have written uh, uh, books about um, uh, practice, to, you know, and, and procedures that you could follow to try to induce a, an out-of-body experience, you know? Mm-hmm as well as lucid dreaming and things of that nature. So, yeah. And, and, you know, if you, um, I mean, I always wonder how I would react in situation in such a situation because I'm by nature, I hate to lose control. And if I feel myself starting to lose control, I panic, but that's not what experiences um, describe. They describe the opposite, you know, peaceful, reassuring, no fear, you know, nothing at all. So I guess uh, it's different than, uh, you know, doing a hallucinogenic drug or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely different than doing a drug. Yeah. Yeah, because I've done all the hallucinogenics out there. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) This was definitely much, much different, much more peaceful. I mean, I'm I'm 100% sure I was not in my body. You know that that part, I'm sure that my my consciousness at that during that period was not in my body. Yeah, well, you know, I've I've heard accounts. You know, you mentioned you know an ambulance. I've, I've read accounts where people um, are being transported in an ambulance, and they describe um, you know floating above their body mm-hmm. in the ambulance. You know, watching the people working them there, and at the same time, see their loved ones gathering at the hospital where the ambulance was headed. Mm-hmm. So there, which is interesting to me because that suggests that our consciousness can split and be in many, many different places, so to speak at the same time. Um, that, so, that is interesting. Cause, Cause that brings up like a whole other aspect. Like 
when it comes to like reincarnation. You know, could could a loved one still be watching over me and also be incarnated again somewhere else at the same time? Yeah, well, I could tell you really into this, Gary, because that is a, that is a very common uh, question that we get all the time. People are worried that they're going to lose contact, you know, with their deceased loved one if their loved one decides to reincarnate. Yeah, I don't think um, you do. It's exactly what you said. Um, you know, and then the argument against that is that just, you know, the split consciousness thing that you could be um, in multiple places at multiple times and we're not even going to get into parallel lives and parallel universes mm -hmm. and so forth. But, um, but, it, it, but there's even some science behind it, like Einstein's theory of spooky distance. Oh, there um, is. The yeah. quantum physics of, of, of uh, you know, um, particle waves and, you know. So even in physical rea reality, there there's instances of this happening. Yeah, and and there's you know, time and space and distance are only physical um, attributes. You know, I mean, supposedly in these non-physical realms, there is no time and there is no space. And, you know, and so um, things can be happening. You know, all at once. Mm -hmm. So. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of mind boggling. I guess we'll all find out at some point, you know, <laughs> none of us will be immune to it. That's for sure. Yeah, it is inevitable. And, and, and because it's inevitable, that's why I think too, is something to, I don't know. I, I mean, I won't use the word embrace, but I would say it's something that at least is something to be curious about, to be open to. You know, to, to be aware that that we are going to have that experience eventually. Yeah, you know, many of us are, um, you know, like a, like a lot of people have come to the foundation not because they lost a loved one, but they are just curious about their own mortality. They have some questions, you know, and they want to learn more. You know, so mm -hmm. um, I think it's natural for us. I mean, who does who? I think if anybody says to you that they never thought about what happens after we die is, is, is not telling the truth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everybody, everybody thinks about it to, to some degree. We, we A lot of us dismiss it and try to avoid it and don't want to even mention it. But um, nonetheless, I find it hard to believe that nobody thought about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> True. So uh, thanks for taking the time to be on today. This was a, yeah, you're a great interview. Pleasure. Thanks. I appreciate that. It was a pleasure being with you. Um, so, so before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? Um, they can find me um, on, um, uh, first we have a website. It's foreverfamilyfoundation.org where I write a blog on beyondthefivesenses.com. And uh, the book that I mentioned is called The Medium Explosion. You can get that on Amazon. There's also a link on the Forever Family Foundation you know, website. And um, all profits from the book uh, are donated to the foundation to keep our programs going. Um, so that uh, that's pretty much it. Well, thank you for doing what you do because it's, it's phenomenal. You know, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. Well, it has, and that's why we keep doing it. So uh, if you can make a difference in somebody's life, I mean, uh, what, what better? <laughs> There's nothing else. 
Yeah. Well, I will post the links to the website and to your book in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you as they're listening. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And just hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.